Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria and host of this podcast. If you'd like more information about Victoria, go to victoriarpg.com. And if you'd like more information about the podcast, go to pennyredpodcast.com. Last week, I had Ethan Mason as my guest, and he was somebody who was new to role-playing. That is, super new. In fact, he had yet to play a game. So I asked him a series of questions and his impressions of role-playing before actually playing. And the second part of that interview is post-actually playing a game. We played a game of Victoria a few days ago, and I've got a few questions for him. And hopefully, we'll be able to string some of those answers together with his original answers from part one. So, how's it going, Ethan? Very good. How about you? I'm doing just fine. And so, let's just kick it off. What did you think? Oh, it was it was different. Definitely different. Like when we first started, I kind of had a bit of a hard time getting into it. But towards towards the mid and the end, I really really got into it. I just I found I had a difficult time, like you know, like talking and like trying to get like into the character and just kind of felt too much on the spot and got a little nervous and didn't really know what to say but i mean it was fun though i know that it was a good experience for sure and i think that part of the nervousness that people feel when it comes to role playing if they're with their friends and they generally talk with them then that makes it a little easier but in this particular case uh ethan joined in with the group that i routinely play with and so you had double the pressure. One, a group of people that you hadn't role-played with t- before, and two, it was uh, a new experience all around. So I think overall you did pretty well, those things considered. So going back to some of the things that we talked about last time and getting a fresh perspective on them, what did you think about the mechanics of actually playing a game? I thought it was pretty interesting how like uh, how, how it works with the dice and how you... Like you consult with your group, like uh, the guy who's playing the constable would ask who's got the best stealth, and like we got to work together to 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 get the job done. Like I, I like that how it works together like that. Like for sure, one of the things that people routinely do when they put together a a party is what it's called for a role-playing game is they'll talk with each other about the sort of skills that they want to have, and so they'll then try to round out their skills. Generally speaking. Um, people won't actually end up asking what skills you have because once you've played together a couple of times you know the other people's characters so you know the sort of things that people are going to step in and and take care of so in some respect it's a little bit artificial you know asking what stats the person has but when it's only the first game it's a little difficult to get a really good feeling for the skills of every part of the group now that doesn't mean to say that it's not possible for two people to have the same types of skills and in fact in some games that's encouraged but I think if you're a GM and you're trying to make it interesting for the people in your game, it doesn't really matter if there are two people the same or four people the same. The real meat for your story is going to come from their individual backstories, and you put quite a bit of effort into the backstory of your guy. Now, not much of it's come out so far, but did you find that that was helpful in terms of playing your character, or did you find that it restricted you in some ways once the game actually started? Um... I find it was pretty helpful, like to give me a, like when I was trying to like discuss when we were at the bar and the in the game and and um, there was this fellow hunters there and I was trying to discuss with him. I kind of kind of used my background a little bit on that to try to help out a little bit. And, but uh, and sometimes I felt like there's information in my background story that I can't use yet, so it kind of felt a little bit difficult for me to think of what to say and how to act it out and whatnot. 
Okay, Ethan, you're going to have to um, like either sit still or readjust your headphone because almost everything that you say is it's banging and crashing the plastic of the um, of the microphone, and it comes through really clear down here. So that'll be that'll kind of be all over the recording. Um, so, uh, so when it came to uh, sort of reviewing how the game had been and in reference to the character you already made, did you feel comfortable with the choices that you made, or now that you've got a better idea of the, you know, what a role-playing game is all about, would you change anything about your character? Uh, no, I'm perfectly perfectly happy with my character. It kind of suits the kind of style that I like when I'm playing those kind. Of, like, well, like when I play like Skyrim, I always kind of go for a kind of character like what I created for the uh, Victoria game, like just kind of mysterious and hunter and like the. How we add the supernatural kind of aspect to my character. I like that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. Okay, we're going to have to record that bit again there, Ethan. Maybe it's your cord. Is your cord caught under something or caught under your feet or something like that? Because it's... No, it's, it's a bit of a bastard sometimes. Oh, yeah, it is. It's not an ideal headset. Next time, um, well, I'll get you back another day, not next week, but um, in a bit, and we'll talk about it again. But, like, maybe after you run your first game, that's something I'd really like to do, but we'll talk about it a bit later yes. on. Any justice that it's not. I think it's even got a clip on it too, which you can use if you want to. Is Angie anywhere, Angie? No. Okay, because like the dog's bargain let the dog, and I've realised that I've actually you know what? Angie, Angela. Oh, I think she's in the shower. Oh, okay. Sorry, I, I just remembered that now. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just going to let the dog just a sec. So, um, I'm going to ask that question again. Are you set? Oh, yeah, I'm good to go. You're good? Okay, all right, I'll ask that question again. So, now that you've had a chance to play the game, did you find that your character helped to direct your actions, or did you find that you were a little bit handcuffed by decisions you'd made earlier on, and perhaps in hindsight you might choose to do something different with your character? Uh, No, I I found the character's background story really helped me with... uh acting out and how I would uh, react to people's uh, responses and conversations we were having and but like so, like some things in my backstory about like how his father was killed by his, like in my backstory a werewolf and whatnot it uh, I find that kind of restricted the conversation a little bit because that early on in the game you can't really bring that stuff up and like kind of ruin the story a bit but other than that I found it helped out quite a bit so the story that has unfolded so far doesn't have anything that's at least not on the surface, supernatural. Uh, do you think that 
you'd like to have the supernatural incorporated straight away, or are you okay with a slow burn on something like that? I, I like the way that we uh, that you were playing it out before, like kind of the mystery. You don't really know if it's just regular, like like a bear maybe, or if it actually is something supernatural, or if it's just a murder. I, I like that, like the mystery behind it. So if you were given your time again, would you make a different character or give them different skills, or have you not really used enough of them to know which are useful and which are not? I'd say I wouldn't really have uh, used it enough to know which which I would prefer more when playing uh, versus what I have now. Like what I have now, I find it's pretty good. But I mean, I'm sure over a couple games, I'd I'd be able to figure out which skills would be more useful than others, and which would more play more to my advantage. Right, and I th- that goes in line with making characters and things like, say, for example, Skyrim, um, because if you play in a certain style, then certain skills will be useful to play in that style. And that's true of role-playing to a degree, but when you're designing a game as a game master, one of the important things to do is to keep an eye on the sort of skills that your players have. So there are really no bad choices for a character. If you, say, want to have a specialty in cooking, then although it's not very interesting to role-play, or at least not in my experience, to role-play cooking food, a good GM will find a way to work the culinary arts into their story. So, whereas in Skyrim or World of Warcraft or Oblivion, some skills are of relatively little use. And that's also true of some role-playing games. But in Victoria, and I would say probably the majority of the new uh, indie games, there's not really any bad skill that you can choose because as I say the GM should make all of the skills good what did you think of the combat system Uh, I actually found it was pretty fun rolling the dice to see uh, to see if you were successful or not and how you told me that uh, double ones you can decide how you were going to attack the guy and how he would have countered it and ended up causing you to lose the fight to gain plot points like I found that was that was pretty fun trying to try to figure out like cool ways of that happening and so when you found yourself on the receiving end, did you find that you felt, uh, were you frustrated by that, or did you find getting the opportunity to sort of be the author of your own demise made it a little easier to take and a little more interesting in terms of the way that it fitted in with the story? Um, I found it made the story for me sound a little bit better because I got to felt like I contributed to it a bit, but I, I never really get frustrated when I when I die or lose in a game like that, like to a point I'll get frustrated if it happens too much. But I mean, it did kind of, it was kind of cool how I got to decide how my character was going to screw up and end up getting hurt or even killed. Like that, that was to me, was pretty interesting. Yeah. And that goes with some of the stuff we were talking about last week where the roles that people make, at least in my opinion, should always have meaning. And even if you're on the receiving end in some kind of a fight, it should forward the story in some way. And so the hardest thing for people, or at least the hardest thing for me to take, is when you have senseless deaths or when things don't go your way and it doesn't do anything for the story. So when I wrote Victoria, that was one of the things that I had very much in mind, to make sure that every dice roll had meaning. And did you appreciate the commentary on each role, or would you like to have just rolled through that and got to the outcome? No, I like rolling separately and seeing how it plays out instead of just rolling and then going through it all in one shot, because then, to me, that's too quick, and it doesn't really 
have too much interest to it. Like the way the way you did it, like where you'd roll once and then you know you'd go through the store and then you know what's going on. Like you kind of paint a picture in your head of how it's playing out. Like I like that. Some role playing games you can spend as much as you know half an hour or even several hours uh, playing out a combat scene. Is that something that would appeal to you, or are you more interested in uh, the story developing? Uh, the developing story would be more interesting to me than going on a fight for, say, a half hour or so. But I'm more, I'm more into seeing how the story unravels as you go and the decisions you make and how it affects the story outcome. So you didn't think the fights were too fast? No, I thought they were pretty good. Now, in uh, games like Rollmaster or uh, even Dungeons & Dragons to some extent, you can have... You know, like I say, half an hour or, or an hour's worth of rolls. And at the end, you still only end up with one of two outcomes. You're either successful and you win the fight, or you're unsuccessful and you die, or you run away. And when I was putting Victoria together and designing the resolution system, I spent quite a bit of time talking to a chap online who contributes to some pretty heavy mathematics articles. And... I developed a system and then I sort of asked him if there was a faster way to go about, you know, coming up with outcomes rather than laboriously going through all these various different conditions. And that was one of the things I discovered about mathematicians is that they are very good at finding the fastest, most efficient way to do something. So I can definitely see why they're used uh, by the military to, to help out with analyzing stuff and also business. But at the end of the day, one of the things that he crystallized for me was this idea that it doesn't really matter how many roles you have. If you take the time to break it down, you can turn any individual conflict into a single role, one person versus the other, on percent. Now that takes into consideration all of the things that are written down in your character sheet and then weighs the two against each other with the balance of probability. So when I came to develop the system, I thought to myself, what's a happy medium between one role, which has limited um, appeal in terms of a narrative, and half an hour or an hour or two hours worth of rolling, which for me at least was something I wasn't interested in, in doing. So I settled on three roles, or first to three, and then a tiebreaker following that, because I felt that after each role you get an opportunity to sum things up and then you are telling a story as you are rolling the dice and that served two purposes. One, the role playing didn't stop but two, it added a cinematic element to the narrative. So you felt that three was a good number of roles? Yeah, um, like I like it because you get the three roles, it's not too much fighting, not, it's not too long. Like I know in Skyrim and all those games, like it's just constantly fighting, like it gets sickening after a while, like you just want to progress with stories. So that's what I liked about Victoria because you, you get enough fighting that you get your fill of it, but you're also getting a story with it and it doesn't last too long, you continue the game on without, you know, really pissing around, fighting people all the time. So what did you feel about, um, what was different about the experience? than you had anticipated prior to going in? Well, um, I, I, like, I, I thought like playing it, you could get a good idea of what is actually going on, but as you're really playing it, you really get a good picture painting in your head. You really feel like you could be there. Like You really want to get into that role of your character and and try to have like a good time, Like try to imagine like you're actually doing what's happening and just have a laugh and have a good time. So in what respects 
did was the mechanical the actual experience different though from when we had talked about it um oh uh, I, I don't really or did it pretty much play out as you had thought uh yes and no like I, I thought it'd be a little bit different from what it was, like the rolling out and like how you roll the dice and how how it goes. Like I thought you'd roll the dice and and you know you beat the guy, it's over. There's no real no real gain from it, kind of thing. Or it'd be a little bit harder than that. I kind of thought at the same time, but I found it was pretty easy and kind of adds to the story, like you said. And did you find that the system was easy to understand once you'd used it once or twice? Yeah, well, the the first couple times I found it was a bit confusing, but after doing it, like for me, two or three times would might be enough. But I mean, by the end of it, like where we cut off, I got a pretty good understanding of how it worked and uh, how plot points and all the other things, uh, all the other mechanics of the game work. So I got a pretty good understanding after after playing for a little bit. Well, that's good to hear because up until you played there. I'd not had anybody that had never played a role-playing game played play it before. I'd had people that had played um, uh, only a couple of role-playing systems, um, but nobody that had never played anything before. So that's quite satisfying to hear that the role-playing system was simple enough for even somebody that hadn't ever played anything before to get to grips with. But at the same time, also good to hear that even though the system was simple, it created an interesting uh, interaction with the dice so the dice weren't overbearing and they weren't you know they weren't almost incidental it was a nice uh, combination between the two um, so what did you think of being able to contribute to the story you've said already that you enjoyed uh, getting to say how the combat had turned out when you rolled double ones um, but did you feel that that put you too much on the spot? Because initially you said you were reluctant to have much to say. Yeah, uh, when it happened, and I'm, I'm, I'm like the way I planned it out, I probably thinking about it now would have thought of something a little bit more clever. But I was kind of feeling on the spot, kind of felt a little bit rushed on myself, and just wanted to get it out and get the attention off me and back into the game. Because like like you said, playing with people you don't know, you get a little nervous and whatnot. But I think that's common, not only for people that haven't role-played before, but for people in general. I know that at con games, I sort of have two states. First state is I sort of I sit back quietly and watch things unfold and slowly contribute. Or the second thing is I, I throw caution to the wind and embrace my character and, and really overplay it. And either of those work for me. If I want to get the most out of it, though, I, I just throw caution to the wind. But I guess your situation is different again to that because at a con you're not going to play with those people again so you don't have to concern yourself with creating any kind of an impression whereas with those chaps it's highly likely that you'll play with all of them or certainly some of them again so you know it makes things a little bit makes things a little bit different um when it came to the story that i put together what did you gain from that in terms of your own future plans for GMing? Um, at, at first, uh, like I said earlier, like I didn't really didn't really catch my interest. But towards the middle and the end, when you're getting into the story, like it, I really really got into it. Like I want to know more about the story and solve the mystery. So I'd say in that in that case, that I'd I'd probably play more if uh, chances came up where people were playing. Even 
different games from Victoria, any any kind of like role playing game, I'd probably give it a try to see what it's like, see if I like it, see if it's got a good story and catches my interest, uh, like Victoria did. So, uh, most people play a number of games. There are, as I said last week, there are a number of people who play, played Dungeons and Dragons when it first came out thirty five years ago now, um, and they still play it today, and they have no interest in playing anything else. And then there are people who will play everything along the way. Anything that comes along, they'll play it. And then there are those people in the middle. So you think you'd be the type that would like different types of games? Oh, for sure. I, I would try any game that if any situation came up where one of my friends was like, well, I have this RPG game, it's new, uh, I, I, if I haven't tried it, I'd, I'd, give, I'd most certainly give it a try to see if I like it. That, that's why I'm even with like console games. If a game comes out that looks interesting, I, I always give it a try. I never just think that, well, that game looks crappy, I'm not going to try it. I always give the game a try and give it a chance, see if it catches my interest. Yeah, there's a lot of different systems that are available, and most systems you can turn towards any particular genre. So once you find a genre that you enjoy, you can use it with, say, for example... You know, post-apocalyptic future, or you know, quasi-medieval, high fantasy, low fantasy, modern day, you know, space. There's really no limit to how you can apply a system. Some of them will lean more towards the certain, uh, will lean more towards things that are common within a certain genre and help to support that with the mechanic. But games uh, like GURPS, which is generic universal role-playing system, Palladium. Uh, and also Victoria can be turned towards anything. Now you may have to change the names of some of the skills to make them more contemporary or in some cases less contemporary but for the most part in my opinion a solid system will be useful across the board and so the actual system itself becomes largely incidental at least for most of the games that I've played. Now two weeks ago or three weeks ago it is now actually, Sean uh, Nittner was talking about how he felt that the system was really important in terms of backing up the type of story that you want to tell, and then the following week I had Chris Bailey on who thought the, he thought the exact opposite. But I think, for me at least, the truth lies somewhere in between. I find some systems good for backing up a certain type of story, and I find that some systems could be used... Uh, universally as they were intended so do you think that a system might be something that you were more interested in or are you going to be more interested in the genre um i'd probably say like the genre like what kind of like like you said post-apocalypse space like that kind of thing for me some people find it very difficult or at least they find it unappealing to learn a new system um is that something you would be comfortable with Oh uh, yeah, I have to like I'm a like I play console games a lot, so a lot of games always have a different kind of setup for that. So I I always find getting it's just a part of playing the game is learning how it works if it's different from another. Right, cuz I'm I'm at the opposite end of the scale to you there. Like one of my design features as I've, I've already said is for it to be simple and understandable right from the very start. And some games I find even you know, four or five sessions, and I've got really no idea, and I'm still asking the GM what dice to roll. And for me, that removes the immersion. Now, that may just be because I'm not very good when it comes to remembering the way the systems work, or it may be a fault of the system, but 
in my opinion, the system should kind of fall into the background. It should serve the story rather than uh, divert attention and be the focus. Some games, there's a lot of rolling for combats and resolving actions, and, and for some people that's enjoyable. But for me, I like the dice rolling to be at a minimum and for it to add some cinematic elements to the story that you're telling. So by the sound of things, I've achieved that, at least in, in your opinion, but uh, I'd actually be interested to hear anybody else's opinion on uh, how they've found it so far, if they've run Victoria at all. So Daniel at hazardgaming.com if you'd like to drop me a line. Okay, Ethan, are there any other um, are there any other things that you had stowed away in your memory there? Uh, not that I can think of right off the bat, but like you were saying about how how you were saying your opposite of the table about games, like where you keep where you're asking the GM, like say half hour of the game, but which dice roll out? Now games like that where it's so like out there and complex to learn, I don't like that. Like I like a game that's it that's different that it may be a little bit difficult to learn, but if it's so far out there that it's just a pain in the ass to keep track of what's going on and how to play it, then I'm, I probably wouldn't be interested in anything like that. Like, yeah, some games ha- are particularly complex, not necessarily in the basic mechanic, but there are so many different qualifiers that can impact on a role that um, it's difficult to keep track of them. And sometimes, once I do get a handle on it, I find myself trying to find a way to game the system. Now, you're probably not aware of this, but um, in some role-playing games, there is a real skill to what's called min-maxing or making your character a munchkin and what that means is you sort of mentioned this earlier on is the effect that particular skills have in the context of the game so I'm talking specifically here about you know if you want to attack World of Warcraft in a particular way then you're going to put all of your advancement points into certain areas and just leave others as unimportant and games like say for example Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 was particularly um, was particularly focused in this respect and Sean brought that up last week we were talking about not last week we were we're talking about splat books now splat books are um, not I don't think the term was coined specifically for Dungeons and Dragons but the idea is that through using tweaks of rules specifically written for types of character classes then you're able to with the same amount of um, character points, I guess, would be the only, would be the bit most universal way to describe it. With the same amount of character points, you can create characters with vastly different abilities. So back in the day, when I was playing Dungeons and Dragons First Edition, if you were going to play a fighter, then there was really no game effect of having a low intelligence. It would affect your ability to cast spells if you're a magic user. But if you were going to be a fighter then there was really no cost to having, you know, the lowest score and wisdom and intelligence. There may have been some saving throw things, if I remember rightly, but the bottom line was there was no necessity for you to create a a well-rounded character. Now, at the opposite end of the scale, if you want to try and create, if you wanted to try to create a realistic character that was reasonably well-balanced across the board, then, as Sean was discussing, you would find yourself outclassed and in every area so bringing it around to what I was talking about before if you have a system which serves a certain purpose then that system often can be tweaked 
to make it so that the characters are largely one-dimensional. And that was, again, one of the things that I tried to reinforce with Victoria, was that no matter how you created your character, you're always going to be able to make them useful. Now, one of the early pieces of feedback I had about the role-playing game, and that was from Rob, who you met on Sunday, who was playing the constable, one of the things he said was, I like that I've got skills spread all over the place and that I'm a little bit good at most things, but it's important to me for as a, for a starting character that I'm creating to be really good at at least one or two things. And so that caused me to think a lot about character creation. I didn't want to create a system where people would min-max it um, and create a character that was super one-dimensional. So what I did was is I made sure that when you chose your primary, secondary, tertiary, and even your personal skills, you always had that dot uh, in the middle. So no matter how unskillful you were in any one thing, you could always give it a shot. And that's what it's like in real life, because some systems will actually allow you to put you know, spots all around the place. And one of the classic ways to min-max your character in something like, say, for example, the World of Darkness, was to put no dots in Drive. Because... For the most part, or that is, in my experience, there were not very many scenes that were based around a character's ability to drive. And even if there were, there was a scene based around a character's ability to drive, unlike combat where every person has to take care of themselves, when it comes to driving, if you've got four guys in the car, unless you've got the best drive score, then there's no reason for you to even have any dots and drive. So there was often the situation where you had zero somebody had zero dots and drive um, because they could then go ahead and use those points for other things that they thought might be more useful. So I think in the White Wolf Storyteller type games there were probably something like at least 30 to 40, I would think at least 30 to 40 different skills that you could choose from. So Relating that now to your experience with Victoria, did you find that there were enough skills to create the type of character that you wanted to? Uh, yeah. When, uh, like, uh, for the kind of character I like to create, like, I kind of like to have a guy with a bit of sneaky, sneaky abilities and good fighting skills, a little bit of smarts to them. Like that, Victoria seemed like it offered all the all the kind of skills that I would need to make a character that I'd be that I'd be satisfied with, and and I, I made a pretty good character. I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with what I made, so uh, the skills that I chose. So are you looking forward to that character developing, or do you feel like the character is already fully formed? Um, I think there's still some room to develop, like uh, create them out more, like add skills to some of the lower uh, the lower uh, attributes that I picked, uh, build those up and kind of develop them a little bit more than he is. One of the things that you had mentioned in part one of this was that although you're not focused on the acquiring of gear and money and things like that, you still enjoy that aspect of the game. Did you find that that was satisfied during the game of Victoria we played on Sunday, or are you a little bit looking to find some stuff? Uh, it 
really could go either way for me. It really depends on what kind of mood I am when I'm playing a game. To tell you the truth, like sometimes I'll be playing, I'll be I'll be playing for just to play, have fun, get the story going, like we were doing with Victoria. And other times I'll play just to collect cool things, or or, or even be looking to find some cool loot. But it, it really it all depends on how I'm feeling about when I'm playing the game. Right. So, looking to the future. I think we're probably going to be getting together on Thursday night. Is that something you'd be interested in participating in? Oh, for sure. So, with that in mind, do you think that the second session would be would be easier uh, for you? Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I played the first one, I like, just getting the hang of it. But I mean, the second time, I'm not. I'd, it'd be better. It'd be better, but it's not going to be like to my maybe my fullest that I could play. Like, it, it'd still be a little bit still be a little bit rough for me like you know speaking and stuff and trying to really get into the feel of the game but i mean it'd still be better than the first time i played for sure would you prefer the spotlight on you less or would you like the spotlight on you more probably less for like starting off until i really get you like you said really used to the group i'm playing with and really start feeling i can be myself kind of thing like i'm a i'm a very shy person when it comes to speaking out in a group even a small group i get choked up a lot yeah that's something that i had mentioned previously which is that there's a strange thing that goes on with uh, role players or at least a stereotypical role player is that the behavior that they're able to display when they're in a role-playing game they can be gregarious they can take on different roles they can be very eloquent speakers but when the game finishes they seem to lose all of those skills. So that was one thing I was going to ask you. Did you find that playing a different, like playing and having an avatar, if you will, made it easier for you to overcome some of those things, some of those feelings? Uh, not really. Even even with uh, avatar, I, I still have like kind of public shyness. Like I don't know what it is, but even. It, it, it wouldn't matter what I'm doing in any way. I'd still feel a bit shy until I really get to know people. For sure. Did you find that you wanted to use the first person with regards to your characters, like to say, I do this and I do that? Or even uh, towards the end of the game, you didn't find you had that connection with your character yet? Um, I'd say I didn't really find I had, like... I, I didn't really feel like I was my character yet. Like, uh, seeing as how, like... I wanted to do like kind of a German accent because my guy was German, and but I I just didn't feel like I could do it, so I didn't really feel like I could really connect with my character. Right, so that that when you asked me earlier about my character, I was thinking that would be one thing I would change. I would change probably my character's background history from where he's from to something a little bit easier for me to cope with and be able to step into his shoes easier. Like because I know if, I know like from uh, I'm assuming from a lot of people it'd probably be easier to get into character if you could do like the accent with your character like you, you were doing with the constable I'm sure that would make it easier for me to feel like I was connecting with my character for sure I wouldn't feel too bad about that because there are people like I say that have played for 25-30 years that have never moved from being in the third person where they say things like my character does this or my character does that they never move from that to I do this or I do that so I don't think there's a necessity for you to move from one way of referring to your character to another. But the fact that you're even considering you know, using an accent and wanting to do that means that you're probably going to be the type of role player that eventually will get on, you know, will eventually move from the third person um, 
to the first person. And as I mentioned in the book, and also I think in a previous podcast, to get the most out of a role-playing experience, I find it's always fun to try to fully inhabit the character that you've created. Now, that may take a few sessions to get a really good handle on what that character actually is, but I think that in order to, for the role-playing experience to be you know, truly captivating, first of all, you need a game master who's giving space for the characters to you know, explore, the players, sorry, to explore their character, but secondly, for paying attention to even the small details so that you really get a feeling that you've created something unique and that by inhabiting it you're getting a little bit to experience a different not necessarily just a different genre or a different setting but a different life if you will you're inhabiting your your character even for a short period of time now okay um is there any is there anything else that's come up that's occurred to you as we go along here we've got about half 35 minutes worth of 35 minutes worth of recording i usually like to go for about um usually like to go for about an hour so are there any other for the area any other areas that you particularly that i mean that you want to talk about uh you know i don't don't have to rack your brains for it there's nothing else that you want to talk about that's fine it's not a big it's not a big deal no, I, I think I got just about everything uh, that I could think of right now. Okay, well, what I was going to do now is I'll probably ask you a few questions about um, about about being a game master, like how you found the. Uh, it's not necessarily. A, I mean, you can feel free to say whatever you like, but I'm not looking for a pat on the back. I did a good job, or um, or necessarily for you to try to find things about it that you didn't like. But I was just going to ask about because you'd initially right away you expressed that you would be interested in being a game master when we were talking last week at the at the um at the restaurant there so i'm going to lead into that a little bit so if you can think of any things that you uh, want to say and also just keep in mind Ethan, i don't keep all of the stuff in like i chop bits out here and there so if you find that you're stumbling over your words or you want to just a moment to gather your thought before you talk then you know just take that moment you can see that sometimes i talk quite slowly and it's just the reason why I talk quite slowly with big gaps between my words is because it's easier for me to go and chop those gaps out than for me to sort of go um and ah and then start talking. I have to try and separate an um from an actual thought. So that was uh, that's why I do that. So you've got every opportunity to um, to, to every opportunity for me to, to cut stuff out and for you can take as long a break as you like to answer questions. No, there's the fact this recording. You don't feel don't feel hurried by it. So. So moving to the other side of the equation, I suppose, you've expressed some of your feelings about being a character in the game, but what did you feel, what were your impressions, I would say, I should say, of the job that the GM was required to do? In what ways was it different from what you had thought? Uh, a lot more uh, responsibility than I thought. Uh, just... Like how you were saying earlier, how he has to take in consideration all the skills that every player has, and he had to take their background stories and kind of all make it work together so that to keep everybody happy, so that it works out equally for everybody in the game, so that they they get to use the skills that they selected, but also their their background story gets brought up a bit in the game. So that that was a bit different from what I thought. Like I, I knew that was going to happen, but I didn't see as much responsibility behind it as there was. 
Yeah, I think that that's, I've mentioned it already this episode, but that's really an important job for GMs to do is to make sure not only that you take into consideration the people's skills, but also their background. And that's a good way to bring your bring your players in. But um, in terms of the actual story itself, did you find that your initial impressions of what role-playing was going to be like, and in terms of the story you want to tell, you said that you were interested in telling a story about Greek mythology. Is Did you have any thoughts about what it might be like now to actually run a game that was based on a Greek myth, and how you would do that? Uh, it seems like it'd be a lot harder now after actually seeing how you'd have to do, but yeah, I'd, I'm sure I would do a, I would do a lot of, like, research on it so that I could create a game that would be for me being a starting GM for me I would probably do like a simple story that I like if for everybody I can include their skills and their and their backgrounds easy enough for me to put together and keep it going and keeping everybody happy but yeah it'd be a little bit diff- more difficult I thought I knew it was going to be hard but I mean I, I, after watching you do it uh, Sunday I just I realized how much harder it would be than what I thought it was when it comes to putting a story together, we talked quite a bit about that last time, so I won't rehash it, but one of the things that is often gets lost in the mix, people put together a really detailed backstory and they figure out an overall plot, but sometimes lose sight of what you're actually going to do in any individual session. So when it comes to putting a game together, oh, that is not a game, sorry, a session together, because a game can be made up of you know, one session sometimes, like most convention games, are only just one session of about four hours. And then there are games which are still going now, which began, you know, 10, 20, even 30 years ago. But each one of those stories is made up of a, a group of sessions. Now, regardless of how long your session is, when I come to putting together a session, I take a look back at the notes that I made in the previous week. And also, if the players have left their notes, then I look through those as well. And then I think about where all of those things are going to lead. Now, it's not always possible to anticipate exactly what actions the players are going to take, but if there's a strong narrative, they will head in a general direction, even if they do divert one way or another. But when it comes to putting together something that's going to be interesting for everybody, you need to, first of all, have an idea of where the story is going. But second of all, when it comes to making sure that all your players have a good time, that's really something you need to seriously consider not only do you need to figure out what skills the players have and what background they have but when I put together a session I try to put together one scene so that each individual player and that is their character will have a chance to shine so if you've got a character that's particularly good at picking locks I'm going to put together one scene ties in with the general direction of the story where that player is going to come to the fore and if you've got four or five characters by the time you've put together four or five pivotal scenes and you've strung them together in such a manner that it goes towards your final goal for that session then that I find is the best way to make a session enjoyable for everyone and that's ultimately uh, my goal now It's a little bit difficult, such as on Sunday where everybody made the characters and then played, but if you have a little bit of time, and and it may only be a couple of, 
you know, like 15 minutes, say, even if you can work in a little something for each player in that first session, then it will certainly get you through. Now, if you are with a group where you've played quite a bit, such as the group that we played with on Sunday, there's not really that same pressure to make sure that the first session is really, really, really interesting. Because there's no, you're not selling them the idea of role-playing, and you're not selling them on your story. So they're likely to be a little bit more forgiving in terms of making things interesting. But if you're in a position where you're playing for people that you don't know, uh, or people that are new to role-playing, it's a fine balancing act between making sure that the session is interesting and then overwhelming them with all the information. So how did you feel about the amount of information there was in that first session? Uh, for me, it was pretty satisfying. Um, I know uh, when we played, uh, I had a fairly high sneak skill and you, you tied in a, a bit uh, into the session where a part where I could apply my skill and and use it in the game and you know that felt good. You know to actually get to use a, a high skill that I have and help help the team out in achieving uh, the end goal. Yeah, that's the second part of making sure that everybody gets a moment to uh, to shine. Uh, not only do they get a chance to use their skills, but everybody enjoys feeling like they're a valuable member of a team, and it also helps to create uh, cohesiveness in the group. Sean in episode four mentioned that. That character that he created in Dungeons and Dragons 3.5, he he put a lot of thought into the character background, but then when he got to the table, he found that even though he'd put all this work in, the character that he had skills were superseded in every respect by other characters around the table, and so consequently he was you know for, not forced, but because of the type of game it was, was relegated to the sidelines in terms of what his character could contribute to the story. So having your characters with skills that are actually at a level where they're useful is something else probably that you would want to encourage, certainly for someone who is new to role-playing or for a group that was perhaps trying a game for the first time. There's nothing less interesting than abject failure continuously. So that would be another thing that I would say, is that not only do you need to make sure that the scenes play at least one time to each of the strengths of the people that you have in the game, but also that the challenges you set for them are sufficiently difficult to be meaningful if you're successful, uh, and certainly not so hard that even if a player has a really good skill, you go and crush their excitement at having the skill by making them fail straight away. So do you think that success... Would, was success important for you for enjoying the game? Like, would it have been... I mean, nobody really likes to fail all the time, but does being successful, at least to some extent, supersede the story progressing in a satisfying way? Uh, yes and no. Um, like you said, being successful sometimes is... It feels good. Like, you know, you're, you're happy. You've, you've, you've completed something successfully versus failing it, and... It could be feel better than the story, but to me, I think the story's the story's the most important thing. Like I, I couldn't really care less if I rolled and seven times, and out of those seven times, I failed five times. I, I'd get frustrated, but still, like, as long as I'm having fun and the story's going on and we're all having a good time, then success isn't really a big thing to me. So, going to a specific part of the story, 
there was a confrontation between the characters and a group of uh, the Rom, uh, Romani gypsies that were in a forest held by a local lord. And there was a situation where if the combat had gone one way, then all the characters would have been trussed up and taken off and um, presented to this lord or viscount as he was. Um, and if it had gone the other way, then the reverse would have happened. Did you have any feeling um, of danger from those guys? Or were you still of the... Or that is, did you feel like there was never really any danger there uh, for your character? Um, I didn't really feel like there was any danger because if it would have came to a fighting scene, there was that the double ones I rolled... But um, other than that, like I, I put a lot of skill points into Marshall so that I knew if it, it really came down to a fight that I could most likely succeed and uh, succeed in defeating them. So I wasn't really too worried that anything anything bad would go with our characters in that scene. Right, and part of that probably for a group that is that has been put together for a long time um, is that if you are the type of GM that's combative, then you create a certain type of tension I suppose in the game and as much as if the players have a real feeling that their character could die at any moment that can in some situations make the experience more freeing, you're going to make the most of every moment that you have in the game but the flip side of that is that there's never a sense of permanence for your um, for your character and so you're less likely to invest in their personality development than you are in making sure that their numbers are good to keep them alive for the longest period of time. And as a GM, that's a balancing act that you have to try to maintain, where the characters feel that all of the threats that they face are real and that it's not always going to turn out to their advantage. And a situation where you know it's so easy that they get no sense of satisfaction from their success... And that's a pretty fine line to try to walk, but one I think that's worth the effort. If you constantly have your characters on the back foot so that if there's a combat situation, you know that they could die at any minute, then actually don't worry about this, Ethan, I've sort of lost my thread there. Um, all right, what... Uh, Okay, is there anything is there anything else you can think of there? What I was hoping you might want to uh that you might be prepared to talk about is um would you be prepared to talk about your the game you're thinking of putting together? I know you don't have any specific details about it, but um your um what was I gonna say? Um yeah, I was gonna talk about the uh about the scope of uh the scope of the game a little bit and by that I mean like where the game's actually going to end up is that something that yeah yeah sure if you want to talk about that I'm I'm all for okay um so going again uh, back to putting together an adventure and and I think it's great that already you're seeing the possibilities that game mastering offers do you think that uh, you mentioned that you would start with a with a simple story um do you, uh, Chris last week, uh, two weeks ago it was now, sorry, uh, Chris Bailey mentioned that 
he felt the breadth of the story that you want to tell shouldn't be restricted in any way um, if you want maximum enjoyment for your players. Now this requires that you be read pretty widely because you can't predict where the characters are going to go. So do you find that idea to be a little bit intimidating? Or is the notion of trying to read widely and anticipate what the players are going to do something that you enjoy? Because there's a real there's a balancing act there as well between satisfying the story that you want to tell and making sure that the players feel that they are really invested in what's going on. Um, that'd be a little bit of both. Um, I, I think it would be fun trying to trying to like trying to predict what's gonna go, what's gonna happen next and opening opening the scope a bit and trying to you know jump to the next scene and like say they decided to do something completely opposite of what you thought they were gonna do, but it gives you that chance to really think of something creative and and run with it. But at, at the same time, I think it'd be a little bit intimidating trying to think on the spot like oh well shit I thought he was gonna I, I thought he was gonna do this and now he's doing that now I gotta kind of rethink what I just had planned out for it like in a, in a way I'd say they'd both be they'd both affect me yeah some people like to do uh, no specific preparation they have a good handle on the genre and on the setting but like to let the players go pretty freely and then there are people at the other end who have a pretty tight storyline in mind and they don't they don't really encourage too much diversion from that and as much as if somebody goes off track then they'll put relatively little effort into fleshing out that part of the story and get them back on the track that they had in mind uh, straight away can you see yourself falling in uh, to either character drives a story or plot drives a story I could easily see myself falling, falling into a character driving the story getting getting off track and having a hard time getting back to where I was I, I, I could definitely see that happening to me and I think the best way to prepare for something like that happening is if you're really well read in your um, in your particular area or even if you're only somewhat well read you'll probably find that if you give yourself a little bit of time like you can say you know we just need to take time out here for 10 minutes I find at least that when things go in a completely opposite direction to the story that I have in mind, I find that just taking a few minutes can be really beneficial for getting taking that diversion and turning it into a main plot thread. So if I had any advice, uh, it would be you know don't don't try and buck that. Some of the most interesting stuff comes from uh, unforeseen places and. If you're always trying to push your players back towards a predetermined path, it can be dissatisfying in, or unsatisfying as a word, it can be unsatisfying in two ways. First, the players may eventually throw up their hands and say, you know, what's the point? And secondly, if you're really holding on tightly to the story that you're trying to tell, you might be better to write a book because if you really got a very tight storyline then you may find that the players are not enjoying it because they don't get to do what they want and you don't get to enjoy telling your story because the players are always changing it in ways that you don't like so really as a GM I think it's important for you to 
be prepared to give up control of the story. And going back to the mechanic of Victoria again, that's part of the business with the plot points. By having an outcome controlled to a degree by the characters, you can never fully determine what path the story is going to take. And for me at least, that makes things interesting. But as you said, Ethan, it can also get you into, you know, can potentially get you into hot water, into areas that you're not prepared for. But if that happens, then I would absolutely say go for it. Just take a few minutes and uh, see where the story takes you. Worst case scenario is that, you know, you'll go for another 10 or 15 minutes and find you're completely at sea. You may need to call the game off for that day and then come back to it another time. But, um, I think it's worth it, and if that's something you've struggled with in the past, then I would suggest that you give yourself the opportunity to do that and just see where it ends up. You may find that it's something that you like. Well, that's why when I was discussing about if I was to make my own game, I would do Greek mythology because I've I've played a lot of games based on Greek mythology. I've read a lot of books about it. I've watched a lot of movies. So if it did kind of steer in a way that I didn't really have control over, but I mean... My general knowledge about it, I'm sure I'd be able to find a way to weave it back to where I was going into that same general direction. But I mean, I'm sure I would, like you said, need like a little maybe 10 minute timeout, or if it gets really bad a day, to kind of gather my thoughts and think it out. But that, that's why I was thinking more of like a Greek mythology because I, I love Greek mythology and I know I try to learn about it as much as I can. So if it did steer in a way where I felt like I was losing control, I could kind of weave what I know into it to make it interesting for the players, but at the same time kind of steer it back to where I had it, had the story originally going. Yeah, that was one of the things that Chris from Episode 5 said, um, that you really need to believe in the story that you're telling. You need to believe that the story you're telling is good and that what you're doing is interesting. And if you are really well read in your area, then that's going to come through for your players. So even if you think that the area that you're particularly interested in, like if you're interested in, say, Civil War history, or you're really interested in, you know, uh, caveman days, then that's going to come through. People are, at least in my experience, people are very receptive to new information, and if it comes in the guise of uh, a role-playing game, then and they like role-playing, then it may be even more to their satisfaction. So don't be afraid to take a story in a direction that, or to write a story, in fact, on something that is of great interest to you, because that will show through in the story that you tell. Some of my favorite books to read are ones written by Michael Crichton. Uh, firstly, because I find the stories, for the most part, pretty interesting. But secondly, because throughout his fiction, he sprinkles in a lot of real facts and I always find that that makes a for a compelling um, a compelling read and the same thing is true of a role-playing game you don't have quite the same latitude to talk about stuff going on behind the scenes as you do in a book but there's still a possibility there for introducing information which is new to the majority of your characters so I would say um, definitely keep in mind show don't tell which is just another way of saying don't um, editorialize or don't have your NPCs spout lots of information have the characters discover things and have their 
knowledge maybe or like their skills help to reveal information to them so they feel like they're actually discovering the information for themselves rather than being fed it um, and the reason that I bring that up is that I know that in some uh, I'm not sure if Skyrim does this but I know that in Baldur's Gate it certainly did some of the characters that you bump into you bump into them and then their and in movies too their feature is to give information and some movies do a really terrible job of it. The they somebody one of the characters bumps into somebody, and then you know for a fact you've got a large chunk of exposition about to take place. Now, for the purposes of some stories, it's necessary. You've got an awful lot of background that needs to be needs to be sort of put out there for the people watching, so they can make sense of the action that's about to happen. But it's done in such a way that you go, okay, here comes the exposition, and you, you wait for a few minutes until they finish the exposition, and then you get back to the acting. And the same thing is true in a role-playing game. If you have an NPC that's just doing exposition, then there's no way for the characters to interact with that, or at least limited ways for the characters to interact with that. You really want to set up a situation where the characters have developed the questions for themselves, and they ask the, char- they ask the NPCs. So, for example, in your Greek mythology game you're thinking of, I would say that allowing the characters to accumulate a series of questions and then going to, say, for example, an oracle or to somebody that they've been directed to so they can ask those questions is going to be much more satisfying than having them called before a lord or a a titan or whatever it might happen to be and then them standing up and saying, you characters, listen to what I've got to say. I need you to do this because blah, 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 blah. That's, I would say, at least for me anyway, less interesting than if you let the character spend some time um, with a really simple task to start with. Something which is, you know, like a nice simple storyline. And then as they're going through that nice simple storyline, reveal subtly various elements of the larger plot. And then when they've got those various elements of the larger plot in front of them, they're going to seek out somebody with knowledge, and then they're going to be able to ask a series of questions. And that avoids the um, situation we get into an NPC um, standing up and just going into a big exposition. That's what I was kind of thinking about the Greek mythology game. Like I remember me and you discussed about... Say maybe like the the bad guy would most likely be a titan of some sort or somebody wreaking havoc, and like like you said, I had an idea of like maybe a weapon they had to seek out or someone in their family you know has blood ties or a, a history to something that was done to one of these the bad guy, but instead of like you said an NPC just tell them sure maybe throughout the game they they find these weird books or markings that like. Of like like you suggested a picture of someone that looks very familiar to them and then like you said they build up those questions and then they find like the oracle and ask them about well who is this on the wall and what's this about our family's name there's secrets about our family like that 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 would probably make for for a good good idea wouldn't it absolutely and and I think that having those little bits um, in mind is a good way to create structure like we already talked this episode about creating the structure of an episode but if you want to create structure for a chapter then that's the sort of thing that I would definitely that's the sort of thing that I would keep in mind is a series of smaller tasks that could be the cornerstone of each individual episode so one episode uh, one session they might find uh, 
one little snippet of information. And then the next episode might be, or the next session, they would go and find out some information about that question that they developed from the information from the previous session, and then so on and so forth. So very quickly you find your way completing a chapter of your story, and the first chapter of that story might be acquiring this weapon or or finding out something about their um, something about the history of the characters that then leads them on to the next session. But I always find that having the end of the story in mind always creates a good path for the players to follow and they'll always feel like they're moving forward because in a role-playing game if you are completely freeform what can happen is that the characters are not able to find a thread to follow and again it's another one of those things that's really difficult to balance perfectly this idea of giving the characters enough autonomy that they feel that they're not being led by the nose but not giving them so much freedom that they find they're not moving in any particular direction so that's definitely something that takes time to get a handle on but for the most part role players are pretty gracious and they're pretty generous so if it's the first time out I wouldn't worry too much about making sure that everything was perfect and also I wouldn't worry too much about taking a break here and there for um, to get a better handle on your story but another thing to go along with that is if there's no reason why somebody who hasn't been a game master before can't have a really good idea for a really captivating story but because it's your first time to be a game master if you're playing with people that have role played before a piece of advice that I think would be worthwhile considering is make sure you've got that nice simple small story to start with that doesn't expose in exposes very little in the way of details of your big story that way when you've played one or two or maybe three sessions you can talk in detail about where your story was going what you were trying to do and how you were trying to achieve it with people that perhaps got experience with being a GM as well so that when it comes time for you to move past that first chapter you've got all of the information from the players or that have also been GMs, you've got all that information, all that advice, but you haven't had to expose your major plot line, because plot lines, for the most part, that are good, will don't require experience to put together. Putting together an interesting set of stepping stones to get to that finale takes a that, bit of experience. That's the, that's, that's the hard part, then. I'm making the, the sessions all work in together to give you the, the end finale story. Yeah, and, and that comes down to pacing. And I've got a bit about that in the book, um, about how you can best pace a story. And it depends on the amount of time that you have given to it. But um, I gave a lot of thought to pacing because a game that meanders is not one that people will enjoy for the most part. So paying attention to the pacing of a game is something that not enough, well, not enough people thought into. Having a really good idea of how your game is going to go session by session is difficult to do um, in terms of developing the specifics but if you plot out a rough idea of where the characters will be from one session to the next in terms of development of your big story I think that that's something that's very worthwhile because it always gets the players feeling like the story's moving forward and it always gets the players feeling like they want to come back for more. 
So that would be a, a couple of bits of advice that, that, I, would, uh, that I would give to you. Uh-huh. Well, again, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, talk to us here, Ethan. Uh, not a problem, Daniel. I uh, very much appreciate me having on the podcast. Um, and one, the, I guess part three of this podcast will be when you've actually run a game for yourself. So after you've run one, and I suspect, or at least I hope, that I'll be part of your game about Greek mythology, uh, if you'd be prepared to come back and talk uh, to us again, that'd be great. Oh, for sure. I'm uh, very looking forward to creating my own game, getting played out, and then kind of discussing where I struggled and where I felt like I had my strong points were and just kind of learning from there. Great. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Ethan Mason. Thank you very much, Daniel.